Hello. Welcome back. Welcome back to the landing spot for episode eight. First impressions. Vermouth. And warrior two. See. Um, we came back after a week off and all that we need to say about that is we are learning how to be gentle with ourselves and Mm. just what I'm learning is part of the grieving process. So I'm very happy to be back and chatting again and moving forward. Yes. That's all we can do. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just, like you said, Sammy, important to honor that idea of like grief coming in waves and how sometimes like you just get knocked over by waves. Yeah. And like <laughs> need time to catch your breath before you get back up and get back into the into swimming. Right? Yes. Yes. So here we are. Here we are. We're gonna dive in this week. Yeah. Um So tell us about first impressions. I would love to. So one of the themes I was thinking of whenever I thought of my first year was this idea of first impressions because as we talked about, moving abroad to me was sort of like going to college, where all of a sudden you have this opportunity to completely reinvent yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was even more drastic for me because when I went to college, like there were still people from my high school that I knew Same. when I went there, right? So yeah. in many capacities, I could reinvent myself, but like you always had those people that were going to call you out if you like <laughs> weren't actually being your real <laughs> self, right? Moving here, like I up and moved my life across... Uh, you know, I, I changed continents and I moved to a country where I knew absolutely no one in the entire country. Yeah. And here I was trying to figure out like what my new life was going to look like. And so I will never forget that first night of sitting down and just journaling. And my journals from the beginning of last year, many of them were design plans for my life. It was like I was laying down blueprints for the person that I wanted to be here. And I spent so much time like visualizing like who am I and who do I want to be Mm. in this new place. And in some ways, like I feel like that really anchored me and helped me sift through my priorities and like set myself on a course that I needed. And in other ways, I was like entirely perfectionistic and focused on my image and (laughs) self-centered. So like, let me give you an example of like a really profound priority that has drastically shaped my experience for good. And that was, I mean, the very first night when I sat down, I realized like more than anything else, the thing that I needed to do to feel best here was learn Spanish. And that was, I was like, I need to learn Spanish and I need to be able to integrate into the culture. Mm. And I mean, for me, I still feel so connected to like that first night. And when I made that promise to myself that like, I will do this for me. Um, And that that was first priority. And that was, that was my first priority. And it shaped and continues to shape the decisions that I make here. Um, in profound ways, such as just, yeah, joining my yoga training, which is in Spanish, really making sure that I reach out and like integrate as I can with, into the community here yeah, and, and with your group of Spanish me. friends. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so that was a really wonderful priority that I can say, good job, Lauren, a year and a half ago. The other things that Lauren a year and a half ago were worried about were maybe not so profound. And these were things like, I want a capsule wardrobe. Like, (laughs) let's make sure my work wardrobe is perfect and all my colors are coordinated. I spent like 
a month researching what, like, in my opinion, what Spanish women were wearing. Like, looking back on it, like, I don't even think I had a good enough radar to know who's actually Spanish or not. But it was, like, every (laughs) every time I walked in the street, I was conducting research. Like, what clothes do I need to wear to fit in here? Well, because you were in, like, survival mode. Yeah. It was, like, take everything in, learn integrate survive and this makes sense like this is a coping survival mechanism it absolutely is and like the thing I wanted to do more than anything else was fit in like this wasn't about belonging it was about fitting in Mm. the first thing I noticed I needed platform sandals everyone seemed to (laughs) everybody loves platform sandals also I am guilty I did participate (laughs) they're so necessary and I swear to god I was telling my mom this and she agreed with me when she came to visit the roads are harder here than they are in Wisconsin oh for sure which sounds ridiculous but it's not because the stone is different. Like in Wisconsin, the stone, like the sidewalk and pavement is made of like sedimentary rocks that are all like, you know, tumbled up and then smashed together. Mm -hmm. And it's very porous and soft. Mm -hmm. And like on the bottom of my shoes, like you can feel that. Whereas here, I don't know what sort of rock it is, but it's just like solid. And Mm -hmm. like my shoes got destroyed and like my feet hurt walking on the tile here because it was just so much harder. So I spent an ungodly amount of money, like buying a new wardrobe, just trying to like figure out what it Who was. Am I? How yeah. Do I well, show also, up? I moved to Barcelona in the middle of summer, and my lightest clothes from Wisconsin were ten times heavier than anything people were wearing here. My like yeah. flowy cotton dresses. I was like, what is this thing? It's made for winter. <laughs> Because it's hotter than Satan's hell here in the summertime and there's no such thing as air conditioning. (laughs) So nothing cuts it. So I was like, I need linen. I need white things. I need color palettes that are different than what I had in Wisconsin. And I remember I like... I bought I bought new outfits and one day whenever I was going to um, our school this summer I like walked in and one of the one of the men who works in the business office who lives here was like you look like a local and I was like yes Score! yeah like mission accomplished <laughs> so okay so one way was looking at like what is it that I wanted to look at style wise and yeah. you and I have talked about this where like as much as that I can make fun of myself and that sounds like ridiculous the idea of like who are you we use clothes to communicate aspects of ourselves. And so it's really asking like, yeah, what is it that I'm communicating about myself? How am I Mm -hmm. viewing myself here? And like, it's no small thing. Like clothing is no small thing whenever we think of culture and like, what does it mean to be American, to work at an American school, but to live in Spain? And it's so funny because I actually think I could write a quite profound academic essay on our clothing choices (laughs) and our cultural influences. (laughs) There's a lot to say. (laughs) Because our school, like some of our teachers wear more traditionally American clothing. Then we have local teachers who like have like nail, you know, beautiful styles from here. Right. And then we have many of us who have like a mixture of American clothes and Spanish clothes Mm -hmm. and like what do we do? Yeah. So, okay. Enough about clothing though. Yeah. No, I just want to add on, like, I think it was so interesting. We've talked about this before where you've expressed, like, I still don't really know. I haven't figured out yet, like where I want to shop. Like Mm -hmm. what kind of a statement does that make? Do I want to buy clothes that are like vegan made? Do I want to buy clothes that are sustainable? Do I want to be shopping at places where it's, um, like people put the clothes up for consignment. So like there's a place called Umana, which is 
great, but or do I want to be spending money at like the boutiques and looking like supporting local businesses? Supporting local businesses. Do I want to go to Gap because I love Gap and Gap Spain is amazing. Like, and it's just really confusing, and I totally can that resonates so deeply with how I felt too. And I just I'll just quickly share like some of the choices that I made really early on. Were like I'm still American and I don't have shorts. I don't own them. They're really hard for me to find and. They were hard enough to find in the U.S. and they literally can. I couldn't find a pair of shorts that would fit my ass here. <laughs> they just don't <laughs> exist. I remember walking into. I'd follow people around, look at where they were shopping. I'll never forget this. Was, I went to this one store and there was a girl who like had an ass that looked like mine. And I was like, please, <laughs> please, for the love of God, tell me where you shop. And she's like, oh, honey, there's no hope. <laughs> like, I bu- I bought this outside of the country. I was like great so I I love though that she talked to you like I know your problems and we're both it was so validating (laughs) and I also love that you were literally like scoping out people's asses people's asses like okay whose ass looks just like mine who can just drop the wisdom that I need I just need to know what store to go to because it's so hard like living with no air conditioning it was it was hard so I was I was wearing yoga pants for Mm. I don't know the first three weeks or so because there was no other option because it was like sweat wicking so I could walk around I could shop I was shopping in yoga pants, just trying to find new clothes. Which is also funny because here uh, people don't wear leggings as pants. No, they don't. And it's I was like aware of it. I'm like, okay, this is a choice I'm making now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we do our best. But I think it's okay. I, I'm fine embracing the fact that I am a foreigner here in this country and I love athleisure. I think I look super cute in athleisure. You do. And sometimes I'm on my way to a yoga class, but sometimes I'm not. <laughs> and I think that's fine. I yeah. like my Converse and I like my Nike high tops and I wear them. But then there are other days where like I like to wear floral print dresses. Yeah. I like to wear flare pants. I have the platform wedges. Like there are also certain aspects. Like I have those clunky black boots, black tights, everything. So I'll, I'll, I do a little bit. I try. Um, one last thing that I need to complain about for just five seconds. Please hold space for me. They don't carry my size shoe here. What? They don't carry size 10. They don't believe in it. I used to walk into stores and I'd be like, tell, I'd tell them my size and they're like, 40 dolls? Like, are you a monster? Yeah, no, they go up to a size 41, which is a 9. And they don't have 42s. No. They don't believe in them. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, I bought shoes in London. I bought two pairs of shoes when I was in London in August. I bought shoes when I was home. It's really frustrating. That's, wow, I'm so sorry. And I think that that's one of those things too that's so interesting though is this idea of um, like privilege in the sense of like fitting in and looking like the people where you are. Like I really think one of the reasons why I've been able to feel so at home here is if I don't speak, people will assume I'm... Catalan or Spanish Mm. and so if I wear the right shoes which they have in my size Mm -hmm. I can get away with not talking and like look like I fit in which I think has been and now you do speak Spanish yes but I mean I with a very thick American accent (laughs) (laughs) but I think that like that was almost a detriment to me because I had this idea of like 
I should be able to fit in. And it was like you that was the wor- the first person that was like, um, no, I'm still wearing my awesome American stuff. And like, I, yeah, I can embrace so both. Much- yeah, exactly. And that mm-hmm. was the flexibility that I needed. Aww. Like, I it's so important. I need to be able to incorporate the pieces from my American wardrobe that mm-hmm. I love and want to wear here. Mm-hmm. Not everything needs to be Spanish. And then I also need to, you know, like enjoy the best parts of the Spanish wardrobe. Love. So. How's that tie into first impressions? Well, the other really big piece of this was making friends. Mm -hmm. And I think that we've talked about this before, but for me, the idea of work and personal life had always been very separate with like a distinct line between them. And so when I first moved here, the first impressions that I made on people, again, it was like I wanted to be making like the best impression of Perfect Lauren that I could. I wanted to look like I fit in. I wanted to look like I knew what I was doing. I wanted to look like I understood my job. And of course, I wanted to be friendly with people, but I didn't think that I, like, I was important knowing my other priority was make, learning Spanish and making friends outside of school. Like, I thought that that's where I would really find my biggest group of friends. Yeah. And to my detriment, this um, wonderful talent I have to categorize things <laughs> turns out to be, like, one of, like, my Achilles heel. Because Aww. in this idea of, like, designing what my life was going to look like, it left no room for flexibility. Yeah. And it detached you. Yes, absolutely. There was like work Lauren and her platform wedges, and then outside of school Lauren, who was having a hard time making friends because she didn't speak Spanish, wasn't being authentic with people at work, and wasn't connecting with people at work, and was trying to figure out how to connect with people outside work. And because she wasn't connecting with people in work, she didn't have anyone who could tell her how to connect with people outside of work. Oh my God. And so that led to isolated Lauren. <laughs> Which, looking back on, um, I just definitely one of the most profound lessons that I learned that we have talked about is just that idea of integration and being really real with where we're at. And I think that one of the biggest problems I had my first year was I sort of pulled myself out of like being and living Lauren into the observer role of Lauren, who was like designing and explaining what like Mm -hmm. living animal Lauren should be doing and so I lived so much of like that first life in like this design critic judge role determining what it was exactly that like this Lauren should be doing (laughs) and like as we're talking about this now like looking back on it I didn't realize how detached those two things were Mm -hmm. but I think it was like because I was just in such a foreign situation all puns intended (laughs) it was like I felt like I needed to control something. And yeah. so that was me trying to design everything. Yeah. When really, like, the thing is, like, okay, great. It's a first impression. But, like, you can't control always the first impression that you make down to every detail. No. And what's more important is, like, what I need to be thinking about is not the first impressions that I'm making on other people. But what I really missed out on was living in myself and paying attention to what are the first impressions that other people I- are making on me. Yes. Right? Yes. Like, what are your first impressions? Of the people around me. Right. Because then that determines who do I want to spend my time with. Not who have I made a a good impression on and they'll like me so that that we'll be friends now. It's like, yeah, it was so detached from that intuition. Yes. It was so detached. And, Mm. like, all of it came from this idea of, like, constructing the person I wanted to be instead of, like, living in the person that I am. And I didn't realize how deep-seated that was in insecurity. And I mean totally fair like I just changed my job 
my apartment, my country. I was in a new place completely alone yeah. with no, I mean, I don't want to say no support network because of course we had the school, but that's different than, you know, an, a richly emotional support right. network that I had built up. And so I think in one sense, like my response, it was entirely normal and I have like yes. compassion for that. Yes. Um, because it is, it is hard to be secure in your identity when all of those pieces of all your identity were depended on stripped yeah. away. And the second you said the word insecure, like it kind of made me stiffen because I'm like, no, that's not, I don't feel like that fits you. I don't feel like the decisions you made were rooted in insecurity, but they were instead it was just the lack of it, the absence of security. Yeah, just meant that things weren't defined yet. Yeah, and then that was and that was so that was so scary that it was okay. I, I'm better off making like arbitrary definitions or arbitrary labels, boxes to to fit myself in until I can figure out what really feels right. Yes, and then yeah, and then somewhere just along the lines, instead of it becoming just like a natural integration into where you naturally felt you wanted to be, you were still sitting in the observer role. Right. And then you were like at a dissonance with yourself. It's yes. like my body wants to do this thing, but my mind wants to do this one. And right, or the yes. brain. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. The last the story I want to tell related to this is I remember in like my very first months here, whenever I was in one of my yoga classes, one of my favorite yoga teachers just like breezed in and she has this lovely graceful walk, is like tall and gorgeous with long flowing hair and like can do every pose perfectly and she's Catalan and just, you know, like commands the room and knowing at that time already like my little dreams of being a yoga teacher were budding and like I just remember looking at her and being like, I'll never be that. Like, I'll never that was your be, first thought? Yeah, because listen, I was like, I will never be like Catalan. I will never be in the element of my culture here. Like, I can never be that. <laughs> and that was like so interesting for me to just like sit with and realize that like if that's what I wanted, like if I wanted to be in my element and in, I was thinking of it as like being in my element and being in my culture, like I was going to need to return to the United States to do that. Mm-hmm. And then my, my perspective completely changed this year in my teacher training when one of the trainers and the founders of our yoga studio is um, German. And I believe she's actually originally from Hungary, but grew up in Germany and identifies as German. And she has an accent when she speaks Spanish. Her Spanish is so good. Everyone loves loves her Spanish because of the mistakes that she makes are like hilarious and cute (laughs) and everyone is like I love listening to her it's like so relaxing and like in her case her accent is actually like an added benefit in the class like wow a little bit exotic or whatever and for me all of a sudden it was like look like here's another immigrant who's like come here and made her life here and is the the owner of the yoga studio the founder of the yoga studio and people like look up and revere her and yes she's not Catalan but she has really found her place and like owns herself here oh my god and like that um that moment of like being able to see myself reflected in a potential future was something where it was like yeah I will never be Catalan but I can be securely American Mm -hmm. in Spain in Spain Oh my God. And I have two things that I want to respond to that. I'm fascinated. We've never talked about this. First of all, isn't what you just described a quote unquote, like that's the definition that we are brought up on as Americans is an American story, an immigrant coming to a foreign country and then like building themselves up. Mm, Totally. (laughs) Can't you do something like that here? Yeah, I mean, I guess that is the American dream. That is the American dream. Who says you need to live in America? (laughs) That's 
such an but that's like connection. an interesting idea right that, yeah like okay this is embedded within the culture of your the identity of your culture or the culture of your identity yeah okay yeah that's another thing I want to dive into right so what does it mean to say you're in your element of your culture how much is that tied to your core being because I would argue that it's not I think you can be in your element in the classroom because we're teachers but you can be in a classroom in any place it doesn't need to be in our in your in Wisconsin yeah but I would push back on that because I don't think I would necessarily feel in my element in a public school here right like we live it we teach in the American school and so the culture of our school is very American true and we there has been small cultural differences with just the way our students respond to things and how chatty they are and but that's different from you being in your element though yeah but I think that there's something I don't think we necessarily need to be in our cultures to be in our element. But mm-hmm. for me, I need to be grounded in my culture to be in my to element. To be in your element. And okay. that doesn't mean that I need to be surrounded by other Americans. Yeah, but your I feet mean, don't need to be in the soil. No, but I mean, here I try to divorce myself from my Americanness. Mm-hmm. And like really the only way to feel grounded is to integrate Embrace that. It. Yeah. Right? Like, I will never stop being American. Yeah. And the more that I can just root myself in my Americanness, yes. the more... Or that then I can really engage with people from other cultures in an open and loving way. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I just love how you said that. Beautiful. Mm. Yay. Um, okay, I feel like this is a natural time to move on to Vermouth. Yay, tell me your story. Know, I'm going to keep this so brief. This really isn't much of a story. Um, I've just embraced Vermouth. Like it's the most amazing alcoholic beverage on the planet. I love it. Wait. I didn't know this. You didn't know this. <laughs> Why have I'm we like not been buying more vermouth? No, I like going to a place. I don't need to have it at the house. Okay, but like I'm just saying we could open up our terrace. <laughs> get There's like I just walked by a vermouteria. We could like pick up a Ooh. bottle. Yeah, I need to start learning more. I need to, to be able to differentiate between the different types. I was, at a, I, was, I was on a date the other night and the guy was like, do you want red or white vermouth? I was like, there's a choice? I didn't even know Ooh. white vermouth was even a thing. Oh so my clearly, I have so much to learn, but I am enta- like just enchanted with the way that it tastes. Wow. Kind of like wine for anyone who has never tried it. It's like a very deep, sweet wine. It's like wine with honey. Yes. Sort of. And a giant ice cube. Yes. It's a little more viscous than wine, which I think the honey description part of that is good. <laughs> and yeah, it's a very sweet and just and thick. delicious. And it coats your throat as it goes down. But in a nice but way. But in a nice way. Not yeah. like cough syrup. No. <laughs> so I just made that sound. <laughs> I just love it. And actually, one brief story. Uh, when I met up with Chelsea when we were like getting to know each other um she brought me to this amazing vermouth place on a Sunday afternoon at four o'clock and I'm like what are we doing here this is this is not meal time what are and every we went to three different places because there were there were no we there was no place to sit there's it's just the thing to do here in Spain wow And, and this was in the coldest month it was maybe in the low 50s and everyone was outside kind of like soaking up a few sun rays and I fell in love with that. Wow. I was like, this is so I cool. Everyone just sinks back, drinks vermouth, and eats potato chips. Oh, it is a uniquely and lovely Spanish tradition, yeah. I believe. And it was interesting because when my dad came to visit this last June, I was like, we have to get vermouth. And he was just like, um, 
no. And <laughs> I think I think it must be something. I mean, I guess I never drank it in the U.S. It can't it possibly exists. be the same. There's no way. And he tried it here. He liked it. But he didn't Still love it. For him. Okay. No, but I, I, yeah, I will never forget just the two of us sitting outside, sipping on our drinks, and it was, it had been like a year since we had seen each other. And we had like we were sitting in um, one of the like Spanish plazas, the little courtyard yeah. squares, and there was like this beautiful big church behind us, and the sun was shining on us, and like we both just looked at each other and teared up because Aww. it was like we hadn't seen each other in Such so nice long. Moment. And uh, it's just one of those things where, yeah, the culture here of like gently sipping on a drink outside in the sun. Mm-hmm. This is why Spaniards live so long. It's so true. <laughs> it's so true. It's mm. that leisure. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like it embodies, it embodies vermouth. Mm. And last but not least, Warrior 2. Warrior 2. Is there anything you want to say about Warrior 2 before we demo? Um, I think we should say that it's one of the foundational yoga poses. Mm-hmm. Like when I think about yoga, right? Yeah. The set of Warrior 1, Warrior 2, and Warrior 3, which is an advanced pose... Warrior 1 and Warrior 2 are really important in any stage of the yoga journey. Yeah. And I feel like if you've never done yoga before, you definitely have seen the warrior pose. Yes. Absolutely. This is one of the quintessential poses of yoga. So let's get over there and demo it. Let's do it. Would you like to demo today, Sammy? I'll demo. But yeah. Hold on. Let me put this over here. Take off my shoes. All right. So getting into Warrior 2... Sammy is stepping her right foot forward, and her right foot is facing just entirely forwards towards the front of the mat. Her back foot is turned at a 90 degree angle, and her hips are open. 90 degree or 45? Yeah, 90 In Warrior degree, 2, yeah. 90 degree. You've got it. And I have my hips facing the side of the room as opposed to the front of the room. And about a 90 degree bend in my front right knee. Open up my wingspan. Beautiful. Am I going? Yes. Your arms are open and extended, your hips are squared, and then you're going to take your gaze and look over your front hand. This looks beautiful. How do you feel in this pose, Sammy? Like a warrior goddess! <laughs> Why do you think it's that is? a strength pose. Yeah, what is so strong about this pose? You're open, you're just really exposed. Your hips are open, your chest is open, your shoulders are open, your arms are extended, your legs are extended. Wow. What just struck me as profound of that is I asked, like, what made it powerful? And your answer is that you're open. And, like, <laughs> whoa, I have goosebumps. Because thinking, <laughs> about, thinking about just tying that into the idea of first impressions, like, I was so interested in forward-facing. Mm. I was maybe more in, like, a warrior one. Where you're open, but not as much. Um, Would really like that idea of opening up everything yeah to the side and to the front uh-huh that was like what needed to happen and i like this metaphor because i'm thinking about how like in warrior one you're facing you're facing the front mm-hmm. so it looks a certain way yes versus when you open up to the side 
it doesn't look as beautiful from the front, but if you walk around to the side, then you see the full extension of the opening. You absolutely. can't see the extension of the opening from the front view. Yes, absolutely. It's like Warrior 1 is more a beautiful view for your teacher, whereas Warrior 2 is really that like power pose for yourself. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, Warrior 1 is powerful in many ways. But for this metaphor, I think that's really right. And I think that like, yeah, coming back to that idea of centering and grounding yourself and being focused on what the pose is doing for you as opposed to what you're doing for the pose. Or what the pose looks like or how extended you are, how flexible you are. Again, these are all external validating forces. Absolutely. I'm going to take away from yoga. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. I'm just you're really feeling that. this one. I am because the way that we said that too, I used to, for a while in my yoga practice, I practiced in a studio where there were mirrors on all the walls. Mm-hmm. And we had to learn how to use the mirrors as tools of observation. But Warrior One, I was always much more pleased with how my body looked in Warrior One than how yep. it looked in Warrior Two. Me too. And then, of course, that's all you're thinking about when you're in that pose. Yes, as opposed to really feeling what it feels like in your body. Wow. And looking at for anyone who's currently still practicing yoga with mirrors, which I would totally return to at some point because I think it's interesting. But um, that idea of like I was practicing yoga from the outside observer pose rather than from like the deep seated animal within me. Yes. Mm. Yes. I completely agree. Wow. What a that was like a better metaphor than we've had in weeks. I was not anticipating that, <laughs> and I feel so pleased. It's so accurate. It's really accurate. All right, we are drawing for next week. Oh! Wow! The hero's journey is coming out, coming at you, which is so perfect because we're studying this at school right now. My 10th graders are learning all about it. Amazing. And green juice. The hero's journey. (laughs) Green juice. I already am loving this. And upward facing dog. Ooh! What an exciting next week. We will talk to you then. Have a great, great week. Open and yes. grounding week. Yes.